The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Is vibration the common touchstone between this world and the next? Is the higher, more spiritual aspect of the other side simply a higher vibration than the material world can manifest? And can music be a bridge to that higher vibration? Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Today we are continuing our conversation with Judith White, who was on our last show as well. Judith uh, survived death three times during her life. The first time was at age four, the second time at age five, and the third time at age 35. Each time she experienced beauty beyond telling, she heard amazing music in the other realm, and after her second other realm experience, she began music lessons, hoping to maintain the peace and inner beauty she had felt. If you haven't heard our first show yet with uh, Judith, I would suggest listening to that program, which is archived at our website. In it, Judith describes in detail her three near-death experiences. Judith, uh, welcome back once again to NDE Radio. Thank you. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, I haven't really explained to the audience that we lost an inter, uh, uh, a show in between the first one and this one, so this is to make up for that. Uh, and uh, anyway, uh, to get uh, right to it, one of the key components of your uh, NDEs seem to have been an understanding of the tones or vibrations that you heard on the other side. And... Um, I wanted to talk a little about Plato's Republic, in which uh, the soldier Ur, who had had an NDE, describes um, the tones that he heard. He talks about eight columns of light, which was like the octave, on top of which stands what they called a siren, but which I would call an angel. And each angel was sounding a tone, which harmonized with all the other tones, uh, making one, uh, I guess, one continuous beautiful noise. And uh, I, since you were particularly impressed with the music that you heard over there, I was wondering if if that struck a familiar chord, so to speak. <laughs> well, I'd have to say that um, everything was vibrating or uh, vibration can make a tone. And it, the landscape, the beings, the everything that one could perceive was actually kind of vibrating together in this harmony of love, which in this realm we interpret as a type of music. And the closest that I've heard on earth in comparison with that uh, was uh, there's a, on uh, you can Google it on the Internet, uh, the virtual choir where this gentleman has taken voices uh on the computer from all over the world and combine them into these incredible sounds. And, and not the contemporary, he's done some later ones uh, that are more contemporary, but the ones I that I'm referring to are some of the earlier ones that are very harmonic, quite, kind of like Gregorian chants, only there's different tones, uh, different octaves on the same note singing. So it, it uh, it's incredible but in in the other realm it was like that's what held everything together it was a 
a harmony or love, something way beyond what we call love here, that kind of held it all together, if that makes any sense. Mm. So you related, when you when you came back, when you returned from that, uh, I guess it was the, the second experience, um, you related the vibration of love to the vibration of music. Was that why you took took up music? Well, I took up music because I was in a rather dysfunctional family, and I had been taught from the second experience that all of life and all creation is a matter of frequencies, and that the one way um, that I found when I came back to Earth at the age of five was that by taking a, uh, a keyboard instrument, like in, we had an organ in our home, so the organ represented... Each note, whatever place it was on the scale, whether it was a high frequency or a low frequency or sound, you could say, they were all equal, of equal value. And that was what I had learned in the other realm about frequencies, mm. is that it, there is a purpose or a, uh, there is a value in each level of frequency, which includes all humans as well. And their so behaviors. Do, do, do you think of, of us as being um, vibrations? I mean, are people vibrations as well? Uh, yeah, everything is. Yeah, I mean, our, our material form is, yes, of course. And, and you have said that one of the um, abilities that, that you find you have now from your NDEs was a um, seeing colors around people or a color coming from people, uh, does the does the uh, tone of the color reflect the person uh, or their personality? Um, it, it it's different from what people call aura. Um, it seems to reflect who they are there uh, on the inside, meaning the um, the range of color is different from auras. And it goes from a absolute no color to white to tan, and then all the degrees of getting darker from white all the way down to black. But there's no color, apparent color in there, so it would just get darker and darker. So it's tan, darker tan, darker tan, darker tan, and then a brown, and then eventually black. And um, it seems to correlate with frequency as well. Uh, it also may correlate with... Uh, well, intentions, but it could also correlate with um, lifetimes here on Earth. You know, wh- whether you're more of a violent person and in survival versus, you know, a different kind of experience on Earth. Because I think there are people in survival that are very white because I've seen them. So it has nothing to do with your physical circumstances. It's your relation or your your reaction to your physical circumstances that seems to determine where you are on that color spectrum. And what um, what color are you mo- or tone are you most attracted to when you see someone uh, on the street, for instance, a stranger, and you see a color around them? What color is the most attractive to you? Well, I've only seen one. No color is the highest. I mean, he was totally vibrating from a different level than anyone I've ever seen before. But other than him, white or a very light beige would be, you know, because that's the color of babies. Um, that's the color of more 
we could call more spiritually evolved people, and that has nothing to do with religion. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so, but, uh, well, it's very interesting that there was one person you saw with no color, and you took that to be a good thing. Well, actually, there was a mental telepathy. He was on the opposite side of the street. It was down in Laguna Beach, California. He was on the opposite side of the street, and we there was a four-lane road between us. And we were talking mental telepathy to each other, which becomes pretty easy after you've been in the other, after you've had NDE experiences, if you're sensitive to it. Mm-hmm. And because uh, I said, "Can I come over and hug you?" Basically, I mean, I was just so shocked that there would be such a being on Earth. And he explained that he had just um, been in a process of sharing uh, some type of workshop, mm-hmm. and that he was very exhausted. He was walking with a a woman that seemed to be like his aide. He appeared to be from India or some Eastern uh, country. He was dressed differently than traditional American dress. And uh, that that was um, definitely, he was more like, his frequency was indicating that he was floating more than walking, even though I could, with my physical eyes, see he was walking. Um, I mean, I'll never forget that because it was... uh, so incredible. I had never seen that before. (laughs) (laughs) Now, do you suppose people's um, moods can affect their color? In other words, if somebody is angry or uh, very depressed, could they drop several tones from a a higher color to a a darker one? Uh, I think it depends on the intensity. The, The difference of coloring I've mostly noticed in people is if they're starting, their immune system is fighting something, then they will become a little darker color. Or if they have cancer, they'll be a gray color instead of the other color ranges. Um, so generally anger, well, they might have flashes of red that come out just momentarily, but then it'll be gone. Um, depression, I guess if they've had it for more than a year, it could influence them, but generally... Depression, it might slightly change the color, but it wouldn't vastly change the color, no. It seems to be more related to violence. So somebody like myself has a very hard time even watching violence on TV, like news or anything like that, because it's the color around people is so dark. It's just like, you know, it's just a realm I don't want to participate in, even though I know it is existing all over the earth at this point. I think last week I asked you um, if, when you're watching a TV show, if the if the good guy has a bad aura to him and the bad guy has a good aura, does it confuse the plot? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little different because <laughs> I know that's not who they are on the inside. The other thing is I can see it on pictures. Like I remember uh, looking at the first picture of Abraham Lincoln as a child and going, "Wow." You know, this this is really interesting. I can see it on old photographs, even. <laughs> well, what did it tell you about him? Uh, that he was a much wiser man than, than people realized in his times, that he was um, more pure intent than people realized. He was trying to harmonize all the chaos, mm-hmm. um, which is a huge task. Because when you really study his life and how he was not for freeing the slaves originally, 
you know, and you, you read all of this because he was trying to reconcile peacefully the different sides. Uh, it just, it, he had a very beautiful coloring. You know, he was very uh, light beige or almost white. So that, that was really interesting because when you see photographs, there's usually a darker tint to the photograph because they're older. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was always interesting to me. Wouldn't it be wonderful if doctors had this ability so that they could help, it would help them diagnose uh, people's health situations? Yeah, I don't know. I I, I wonder if there's a, a machine could be developed that could uh, read, uh, you know, read these things uh, in a medical way. Well, (laughs) we did talk about this last time. Uh, The Rice machine is a machine that's used all over the world except in America that cures most forms of cancer within a few weeks. Uh, this country does not allow doctors to apply it, uh, but you can go to Canada or the East or Cuba even. All these locations, I think Mexico also has it. All the doctors in these various other countries can um, use the Rife machine. You can buy it in this country. Of course, you have to buy it from two different sources, um, two different components from two different sources. Um, but this machine, R-I-F-E is the name of it, and what it does is it goes, it's just a frequency machine, so you really don't feel anything uh, unless you turn the frequency up too high, but there's a manual with it. You, you definitely can kill yourself if you don't follow the directions. So you have to, unfortunately, in this country, we can do it to ourselves, but doctors can't who have the training. Um, but anyway, the frequencies go into your system, and they cause the cancer to bounce off of each other and then just totally wash out of the system. Now, uh, stage 4 pancreatic cancer, I don't know. If you're at stage 4, well, actually, my husband has cured himself three times of cancer. It keeps coming back. Mm-hmm. And he was stage 4 uh, when he had cancer. So I think it depends on the kind of cancer. Now, you're not supposed to put it on your head, so brain tumors and things of that sort, um, it's not obviously not recommended to put on your head. So that's a whole different ball game. but perhaps doctors in other countries have figured that one out. But he has, he's helped other people save lives, so that's, that's really good. It's such a shame that... Um the uh, Western medicine is so uh, condemning of alternative therapies like this, um, but they just r- jump right on it and fight it to death in court and and uh, get the FDA and all these guys out against it. It's it's um, I don't know what motivates them besides uh, I guess the money they're making, but it's really a shame. It's sad. There's a lot of things that's going on in our country that's sad right now. (laughs) That's true. Um, Some some physicists, I just remembered, we talked about this, I think, last time, too, uh, in search of a theory of everything, have uh, come up with a notion of uh, the universe is built of vibrating strings. And uh, when you were were on the other side, did, uh, did did you learn anything about that? I can't consciously remember anything about it. The only thing I can relate to it is that uh, that web of vibration, 
melodic vibration, I guess is one way, that I experienced in the other realm. Um, that's that's all I can say about it. Hmm. And I, I think, I don't think we talked about it on the air, but there was a fellow who came to one of the IONS conventions a few years back who... Um, when he had his near-death experience, he'd not had any musical ability or musical uh, training, but he was told that when he came back, he was going to play the harp beautifully. And within a couple, within a couple of days, um, he was playing the harp beautifully. Now you said that um, uh, you've had to work very hard uh, to develop your musical career. Uh, do you? Uh, they, there was no promise that they were going to give you a gift. You were somehow expected to develop this on your own, I guess. Yes. In fact, I remember thinking at six, it was made to look so easy, and then it wasn't that easy for me. <laughs> <laughs> but I was composing from the age of seven, and my first song I composed, I wrote words to it and wrote it completely down on paper. It was called I Love to Fly, and that was at age seven. Um so, I mean, I was, it, the piece that it gave me just to practice was worth it. So it wasn't that I had any expectations other than I was surprised that it was uh, as challenging as it was. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I was going to continue, of course, because the piece, the, um, the quality of peace, internal peace, because that's where peace lies within every human, is within themselves. It's not an external phenomena. We hope it will be one day, but it mostly is within. The other thing that we talked about last week was um, my out-of-body experiences. Yes. I don't know if you want to Uh, go into that realm. Yes, absolutely, because I thought that was fascinating. You you said that you can uh, go to sleep and then suddenly you're having an OBE. And um, tell us about that. Uh, Well, there seem to be different types. there's a, one type where I go to what you could call higher school, where I learn lessons that I've never really heard on, on Earth. Um, another type is uh, precognitive dreams, where I see things before they happen, and then I find myself in that scene, either a few days or months later. Um, there's another type where I find myself in a different dimension or realm, where uh, there's human-like beings who, the context, you know, we have this, I didn't realize we had such a strong context here on Earth where, you know, you're born into this world and things are a certain way and you just take it for granted because you're a baby. And so I found myself in this other world where the, the, over, the overview or the context was very, very different. For example, I was uh, found myself in one of the... the um, worlds where there were these over overlords they called them and i was just a visitor so i was just treated like one of the uh, what we would call on this realm underdogs but they didn't feel that way they were born into that role and it was a, a reality where you're born into your role quite it was actually quite different though than serfdom or you know those kinds of things we had on earth they weren't uh put-downs. They were not lower than. They were just, they had a different purpose. Um, 
And so we had to obey the overlords, but it wasn't a servitude thing. It was really different. It wasn't like here. So I guess that kind of surprised me. I didn't stay there that long. I mean, it, you know, there's no time when you go into other realms. Um, mm-hmm. So I have no reference point of how long I was there, but it wasn't, it wasn't frightening. You just had to stay out of the, stay out of the way of the overlords and you had to obey them. But there was no context of slavery or, uh, being put down or demented or, you know, any of that stuff that happened in, on Earth and maybe still does. Um, the higher school was, uh, one example is that I was in a, you could say a classroom, but there's no walls, so we're just kind of floating in some kind of space. Uh, but it looked like there was a little bit of a, a form around us. It's hard, it's so hard to explain these types of things because we're unaccustomed to these things here on earth but um, I'll do the best I can to explain it and so anyway there are about 20 or so feminine oriented beings Um, they weren't all humans they were other beings as well Um, you know the interesting thing though about spirit or soul whatever you want to call it or you know whatever goes out of the body and has these experiences like NDEs whatever that quality you want to name it it appeared that it appears that a lot of uh, life forms, even though they may have different uh, material forms than us, their mm-hmm. inners are very similar. So you know we're all there, uh, and I knew that some of them had come from other reality systems. Now I know this will sound crazy, but this is just the way it was. Anyway, so the guides that were there, it was a day where we were being given uh, different pieces of jewelry. And so some people were given diamonds, some were given emeralds, some were given rubies, you know, either earrings, necklaces, bracelets, rings, you know, that kind of stuff. And yes. so and so I was given a nice bracelet. I think it was just nice little um uh little stones. You know, they were nice. Um kind of like what we would call beads here. And then the girl next to her, feminine-oriented being next to me, received like uh, rubies, diamonds, and emerald-type bracelet. And we were looking at each other's, we were told to look at each other's jewelry after we were given, all of us were given our jewelry. And we looked at each other's jewelry, and I said, wow, that's so beautiful. And she said, wow, I like yours too. And, you know, we were admiring each other's. And I didn't think anything about mine. I thought it was nice, but and I wasn't jealous. I just thought the other was really beautiful because it was so brilliant and shiny. And she said, here, do you want to trade for a bit? And I said, well, sure. She liked mine. I liked hers. Why not? So then uh, one of the guides took me into one of the other spaces, and he said in private, he said, now, you, you did not pass that. That was not... You did not learn what you were supposed to learn. What you were supposed to learn in that situation was to not accept that bracelet because she's a person that usually gives beauty away to others, and we want her to have that. And you were to recognize that, and you didn't recognize that by accepting her bracelet, even if for a short period of time. So that that was interesting. I, I mean, I had never been taught that you have to be aware of other people's needs and Mm-hmm. and lives and not think about what they're offering you you have to look at what they need not what they offer you so you know that was that was really interesting I've, i'll never forget that one uh the precognitive dreams um 
you know, all this is random. I can't consciously control any of this. It just sort of happens. Um, one night I had a dream of uh, being at a certain corner uh, in a certain town, and I stop at a stop sign. It's kind of a five-way stop sign location, five-way intersection, and mm-hmm. uh, it's a country road, basically, and I start out in the intersection, and a guy from one of the other directions doesn't see the stop sign, and he plows into me and kills me, and I remember in the dream thinking, well, I'm fine dying. That's That's fine. I forgive him, it's not a big deal, and off I go. And, you know, and those kind of dreams don't make me wake up. I just look at it and move on, you know, just kind of not a big deal. So sure enough, I think it was two days or three days later, I'm in that town, in that intersection, I'm in that stop sign, and I start out and I see that this guy's coming forward, and he hasn't stopped at the stop sign, and that there I am in the dream. So I honk my horn, and he stops just before hitting me. Things like that happen. Mm. Um, or like I can see car accidents just before they happen on the freeway, so I'm always very aware of what's going on on the freeway. And I can put my flashers on and stop people before anyone gets grossly hurt. So yes, I think like you that. talked about saving a motorcycle rider that way. Yeah, did you want me to talk about that one? <laughs> Uh, did we talk? Did we talk about that last week? Yes, we did. Yeah, uh, why not? Sure, tell tell them <laughs> okay. about that. It's very uh, interesting. Yeah, that one was. Um, I had the dream on a Saturday night. Well, it seemed like a dream. Uh, I woke up at around three in the morning, and this dream. Uh, well, I woke up and I suddenly jumped out of bed. Said he does not have to die. He does not have to die. He's not going to die. He, you know, I mean, I was adamant. Now that's not normal for me that I would get up and start screaming this out that, and jumping around, this guy's not going to die. Sure enough, the very next day, though, I'm in that scene. I'm driving on that freeway, and uh, the dream was about uh, driving on a freeway, and there's three motorcyclists on the freeway, and one of the bikes uh, just totally stops in the middle of the freeway. Well, of course, it was a busy freeway, and um, so the guy on the motorcycle is hit and killed instantly. And I'm watching, and then I pass this. I pass them when they're all still fine. And then I look in my rearview mirror, and I watch this guy fly off his motorcycle. And I watch the cars run, just the chaos that ensues. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, I thought, well, that's, wow. So I got up and you know, did my thing that middle of the night. So the very next day, I'm actually on that freeway going that direction, and I pass the motorcyclist. I look back, and um, but I recognize that that was the dream I had just had. So when I pass them, I put my flashers on, and um, the guy's motorcycle stops, and uh, he's able to pull off the freeway, and nobody's hurt. Um, or... Let's see, maybe I put my flashers on before. I see the motorcyclists before I get to them. I put my, that was it, and I put my flashers on. I pass them, and I look in my rearview mirror, and I see that he pulls over fine and nobody's hurt. That's how it went. Wow. So, so it's things like that that are kind of strange. <laughs> well, there, and I think when I heard that story uh, the first time, I thought, well, we have the ability to change fate. I mean, you you saw 
in your dream the way things were going to go, and you were able to to change it. Or maybe it was designed that I would see it so he didn't have to die. So that dream... That dream was fate, <laughs> and your actions were fate as well. Yeah, could be. I mean, I I don't know. It, it, everything I've studied has said that this is a free will society. Um, so my attitude is that, um, oh, yeah, we did talk about that also, is that we choose our parents, we, we have an overview of our life even before we come in. Now, when I first heard that, it was pretty shocking and it was hard to understand. But, for example, my uh, stepdad, uh, I saw about a year before he knew about it, he had developed cancer in his throat because there was a grayness around his throat and I didn't say anything and then a year later we found out. But before he reached that stage, he, my mom used to ask me, how long will I be with him? You know, how long do I have with him? You know, they're in their 70s. And I and I said, well, Mom, every time I look, there's like five different scenarios. So if he does this, it'll be this one. If he does this. He had also uh, diabetes type 2. And so, you know, he had a lot of dietary necessities if he wanted to stay longer on Earth, which he loved food so much and his lifestyle that he wasn't going to change anything. So he actually got cancer right away and, and passed. But... Um, you know, so we can say that there's no free will, but in actual fact, the fact that I can look ahead and determine certain things, but there's not usually just one picture. It's like there could be two, three, up to five that I've seen of alternative. Depend- yeah. Depending on the ch- on the choices that he made yeah. in his life, right. he could live have lived longer or not. Right. So it looks like both are true. It looks like both are true. Right. Well, Judith, I think we're out of time once again, <laughs> and uh, I want to thank you for uh, for um, going through this three times so that we would have two shows out of it. <laughs> you're, you're 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 my hero of the month. <laughs> oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you for asking. Me. <laughs> okay, well, and I'll tell our listeners that if you'd like to listen to this show or the first show with Judith White again, our um, or any of our other programs, please visit our website at nderadio.org. And for, for more information about IANS, please check that website at iands.org. There will be information on that site about our upcoming uh, Labor Day weekend conference on NDEs, Health and Healing in Newport Beach, California, from August 28th through the 31st. I look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening. <laughs>